Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 147 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and I'm joined this week by Kelly Marcel, who I adore. I've only known Kelly for four or five years, but we instantly became incredibly close friends, and she's got an amazing story. As I mentioned um, on last week's episode, a little teaser, she sold her first scripts. She's working in a, (laughs) a video store in London, and she writes a script, and she somehow sells that script to Steven Spielberg. There'll be more on that story to come. Equally, while she's working in a video store, her mate who's popping in to help out every now and then and help her with scripts and stuff like that is aspiring actor Tom Hardy, who's also done all right. So, yeah, you're going to enjoy this one. We've got a, a lot more to come, though. I've recorded a load. I've, I've recorded podcasts with Gemma Carney, who I've known for years, who's amazing, with Huey Morgan, with Andrew Beef Johnston. So there's a lot of great people to come. We are all brought to you by speechofelementrecords.com. That's my label. There's merch there for the podcast. There's a distraction pieces section that's got mugs and a variety of different t-shirts. There's merch there for for the drunk cast, which is frankly a disgrace that we do every now and then. Um, There's my Edinburgh Fringe shows on there to digitally download for a fiver. Or you can go on there and get the POS album that comes out next week. It's amazing. Just go onto YouTube and type POS Faded. Um, it's it's my favourite song off the record, and it's with Bon Iver and, and Lady Midnight, and it's amazing. And we release it. We're really proud to, to to be the UK release of the of of the record in collaboration with Doomtree, who are amazing. So yeah, pre-order that. It's coming out on uh, on light blue vinyl. It looks beautiful, and on CD uh, next week. Uh, but if you pre-order it now. Um, you'll get a digital download um, of it for free. So, yeah, go get that. Support it all. This is a long podcast, so I'm going to actually just jump into it. Enjoy episode 147 with Kelly Marcel. Um, I'm joined now by, I was trying to think if I've had anyone on who's a closer friend and there's, there's, I guess I've had my parents on and a few of my mates who do the drunk cast, but I'm joined by one of the closest friends I've had on the podcast, Miss Kelly Marcel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And we've been talking about recording this for ages now. And I know, we've just never got around to it. Yeah, since I started it. You were one of the first people and partly you moved to another country, but also partly it's the nature of the film industry is that there's often if you're working on a certain project there's a lot that you can't talk about at that point so every time it kind of came up it was like if we leave it a few months I can actually talk about things whereas if we talk now I have to be vague and all that so I know because I think when you first started it I was just starting Fifty Shades and I really couldn't talk about it and so but you'd come and like live in my house in Venice and we could talk about it not on your podcast that's it and um the conversations we had while you were making that and on numerous ones would be podcast gold but they would also potentially finish both of our careers <laughs> um <laughs> so thankfully we didn't record any of them but the time is perfect on this one because you've, you've finished a load of projects and you've i mean i mean hollywood gives you about a week off 
but you've had about a week off to have a child. So it kind of, it, it, that's why it's now good timing because it's like, there you go. I'm on a hiatus, a I, child I, hiatus. I mentioned to my mum, I was like, I've not mentioned it to Kelly yet, but I'm going to ask her if she wants to do the podcast. And my mum was like, well, there's two ways that could go. It could be, this is a nightmare time, or it could be the perfect kind of, well, when you've just had a child, because they're so dependent at points, you can start to feel all you are is a, a mother. So yeah. she was like, it could be perfect timing because we can then go, no, look, you do you stuff actually have too. a life. But as You're a real I, person. But as soon as I got here and talked to you, it's like, oh no, your work hasn't allowed you any time off to be a mother anyway. But um, yeah. before we get on to any of that, let's talk about Walter, <laughs> who's not your child, <laughs> but who I've seen more of um, yeah. online and whatnot. It's it's a squirrel that you saved. I know. Tell it, me what happened. <laughs> tell, or tell the people what happened. <laughs> I love, by the way, that you're sitting here asking me about him with there's a jar of nuts in front of you. And yeah, a yeah. Stuffed squirrel. Or we laughed yesterday that your screensaver on your phone is of your squirrel, not of your brand new <laughs> five-week-old child. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, um, and it has been for ages. Like Steve, who's my partner, also was just like, I have a picture of us on my screensaver. It's been Walter for, for like eight months. But it, in reality, it was a good... It, I, I mentioned this to someone I, I, yesterday. I was talking to her message. I can't think... Oh, no, it's B. Um, and I was saying that... It's genuinely good prep for having a child, which sounds ridiculous, but no. talk through what you actually went through well, with well, this. I think Walter's been harder than Gus. Yeah. <laughs> so Walter I found outside the old house, which you've yep. also stayed at. Mm-hmm. Um, Pip stayed at every house yep. I've moved around. I generally try and day. come and visit if you've moved, yeah. just to try out a new place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he was lying on the pavement outside the house, oh, half man. dead in 101 degree heat. Good Lord. Last summer. And, and in an area where there's predators. So many coyotes. coyotes who you've sorts. met. So, you've yeah. met the coyotes. Yeah. That was one of my scariest moments of taking a Mr. Banks, your dog, who we'll get onto as well later for a walk and just seeing a coyote at the end of the road and thinking... I'll, I'll just go the other way. I'll go. There's a cafe the other way. I should have just gone that way anyway. You're you're, you're completely right. I'll uh, I'll leave you to it. And he's also a really edible sized dog. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so he was lying out, um, teeny tiny, like the size you know, smaller than the palm of my hand. Yeah. And so I brought him inside and uh, started like googling where there were wildlife rescue places that yeah. I could take him to. But he seemed really lethargic and dehydrated. And so I read online that you have to give them Pedialyte to rehydrate them. So I put him in a shoebox, ran off to the CVS, got a syringe and and some Pedialyte. Oh, no, actually, my neighbor had some Pedialyte because she just had a baby. So I went and got a syringe. Right. Started. So what is Pedialyte? Sorry, it's like a, it's when babies are dehydrated. It's an it's like electrolytes. It's right. like Gatorade for babies. So it's just, yeah, you gave it, it, it Lucasade essentially. Right, basically it- that. <laughs> and um, the minute I started feeding him, I was like, oh, I'm not going to give this squirrel to a wildlife place. I'm going yeah. to rehab him myself. Yeah. But it was so naive. I, I mean, like it's really probably been the hardest. It's harder than the baby. It was the hardest yeah. thing I've well, ever you done. Were having to get up. Every Several three times hours. in the night, every three hours. Yeah, so every three hours he had to be fed this special formula that you have to get off the internet that's for squirrels and mixed with kitten formula. And, like, squirrels 
go down if they get sick they go down fast yeah. you really have like no time to save wow. them yeah, yeah and then it went on for months as you know because yeah. I, I turned it into a whole instagram story yeah. and he then had to graduate cages so he had to move to bigger and bigger it was, cages it was great because it gave me a preview to conversations we're gonna have to have when when Gus gets a bit older and you're not able to let him go and go to school and become a little grown up because the first thing was saying that you've got to have contact for this amount of time and then you have to break contact as he starts to get into the wild and all this and then you know after those times I was seeing you petting him still and I was like you're struggling to let go go. of of water aren't you I know I I literally it was the it's so hard because you bring that you hand rear this thing that you completely love yeah plus I was hormonal because I was Pregnant, pregnant at the time <laughs> yeah. and then you know you teach them how to jump how to climb trees how yeah. to do everything that they need to do very nuts as a squirrel it's a fast forwarded it is. bringing up of a and then you have to move tree. them into your yard and they have to go and live outside so you have to build an outside kind of aviary aviary for yeah. them so it, it could start to get used to being outside but have the, have the safety still and is safe yeah, place and to be food fed. every day yeah. And so you keep them in a cage for outside for five weeks so that they their body temperature can right, climatize. Yep, yep. So I so we bought this baby monitor because the baby was coming <laughs> yeah. and I and the baby monitor moved outside and was on the cage the whole time <laughs> and I'd just sit with the baby monitor looking at Walter. I love checking it. he was all right. It's brilliant. And then as you've seen, he's now free and yep. wild. He's except got a girlfriend. he's got a girlfriend called Wallace. <laughs> And he, li- but he lives up a tree in a nest box that we put sort of 25 feet up. Mm. And he, but he comes down for his lunch every yeah. day. And, uh, and now he hates us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It was good to, this is sounding so ridiculous to anyone listening, I'm sure. But it was good to see that he's, he's, he's learned. Because when I was over yesterday, he came and got his nuts. But because there were more nuts there, he was taking them and hiding them and yeah. burying them and things like that. So again, it's, they're the bits that are essential for when he does not come when you call him potentially yeah. or goes off and 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 does well does here's, does. the thing is so according to the squirrel board and yeah. i'm a member of now Brilliant. <laughs> he <laughs> is supposed to have gone away like he's supposed to have left by now yeah. because it's mating season and, right. and with males that's it they kind of they go after a while yeah Walter doesn't it's seem so to LA. be going anywhere oh really he's... yeah i mean you've seen like you yeah. call him and he comes yeah um so but he but he's also gone into attack mode as well so like he's not pettable anymore like you can't yeah. touch him yeah he's aggressive he really is aggressive especially if you've got nuts yeah yeah um so yeah. like steve and i were joking this morning that we're actually terrified to walk across our yard now yeah we're just well, like yesterday he's had a bit so of a, scary a, a go at, at, at steve and yeah yeah it's good yeah but anyway we're we gonna get to another um animal rescue story um at some point because again whilst i was i think i was saying to my mum i was like oh, i'm excited to get out and, and, and see kelly and the new baby and all that and she was like you're mainly excited to see mr banks i was like <laughs> jenny's well, yeah I, I am as well i am excited about that as well but um but we'll get to that further down the story let's kind of a rewind all the way back like i mean we've not even touched upon the fact that you write scripts and you're doing yeah, very well with that. I don't that's professionally raise squirrels. That's r- not my raise job. squirrels. So you, you're, you've done a, a saving Mr. Banks was <laughs> was was the one that really blew you up, and you worked on 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 Fifty Shades, and we'll talk about all of these things. But let's go all the way back. Like when you were growing up, were you was was film and TV always a massive 
motivator and drive for you? Yeah, I think I sort of grew up, and I think you'll hear a lot of writers say this, you probably hear it a lot on your mm. podcast, that I grew up in front of the TV, I grew up yeah. in front of movies, and in my house, you know, my dad was a director, and so he often wasn't around, and yeah. my mum was quite social, so the TV was sort of our babysitter. Yeah. Um, and I think I was quite un- an uncomfortable child as well, so I spent a lot of time on my own yeah. and, and a lot of time in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I had quite a- an active imagination as a kid, and that coupled with loving television and loving movies, and looking back, Make, makes total sense of why I do what yeah. I do. But, yeah. um, but it took it's a long time to, to get there. Like, oh. I knew I was good at English at school, yeah. um, but I was shit at everything else. Right, excellent. Um, and I hated school, so yeah. I didn't even really see secondary schools through. I left when I was, like, 15. It's such a, a common trend and common thread because our school systems are so rigid mm-hmm. that there's only one one way to learn, that often you could be incredibly intelligent but in a way that doesn't fit this particular strict structure totally. and that kind of it it it, it could potentially crush your future or yeah. or you know hopefully if you can come out and still pull through that then it doesn't crush your future you've still got that but yeah totally and i and i and i went to a second you know i went to a private primary school that was all very rigid and school uniform mm-hmm. and the whole bit and i and I really did thrive in that particular sub in English, but yeah. really was not brilliant at anything else. Mm-hmm. Although I think I was one of those kids that could cram at the last minute and, and like get through exams. Yeah. But I think that just pissed my teachers off. I think they, they really hated that. And yeah. then in secondary school, it was an all girls school. And again, uniform, not private it was a state school and a really great state school but it just didn't work for me I like I couldn't be confined to the same clothes you know and an a-line skirt that had to be just above my knee and or just below the knee and all of that stuff felt so constrictive to me so I spent a lot of time in the book cupboard because that's where you got sent if you acted up in class right and I definitely Trouble. acted up yeah. because I wanted to get sent to the book cupboard because I loved reading. Right. So for me, that was amazing. Yeah. You just go in. I go to school and educate myself, exactly. essentially. And I get sit to in read a books. cupboard and read all day. Yeah. So I feel like looking back, I feel really bad for the teachers that I was probably a bit of a brat to and particularly like sure. um, substitute teachers and stuff. Yeah. I was just uh, really obnoxious <laughs> and, and horrible. Know. But I'm really thankful for the book cupboard. Yeah. Um, so that's... That's that- great that the punishment was something that could potentially help as well, yeah. rather than just you're, you're locked on your own. You're locked on your own with nothing to do other than educate yourself in some way. Yeah, 100%. I, and, and actually, it's probably why I do what I do now, as I remember really well that in parent-teacher evenings, te- the teacher's at one point said to my parents she's going to end up um stacking shelves in tesco's right so for americans that's ralph's yeah 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 yeah. um and that they really truly believed that yeah um and i did as well in in a weird way i because i yeah i sort of was like wow i'm really i'm really fucking useless at everything apart from reading books in the book cupboard and being a mouthy little shit again it's that it's down to the structure of there's very strict guidelines on right and wrong there's no mm-hmm. there's if you're not 
excelling in the way that they're trying to make you excel, then you're a troubled child in yeah. some way, or you're an idiot, or you're yeah. There's, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, and I definitely felt. I think I definitely felt that all my life, and I was a troubled child mm. for sure. Um, and and I and I had a, tr- a troubled childhood, but I uh, and I think that them being you know really strictly confined by the education system in England, particularly just kind of brought all of that stuff out even more and made me rebel even more and go down more kind of self-destructive paths until I could get myself onto to you know what what challenged me and made me excited and that was writing but it took a long time to get there I was gonna say what do you feel brought you off those more destructive paths was it kind of finding out you're good at something yeah kind of that going oh actually this is this is something yeah. I'm talented at, and I can. I, I, I don't need it, to just 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 waste my time or distract myself. I can can focus on something. Yeah, I think it really is as simple as that. I think if you're if you spend most of your childhood being told that you're going to amount to nothing and that you are rubbish, you're then like, all right, then you're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that's that's my life path then, isn't it? And so, what's the point in trying? And what's the point yeah. in going to school? It, or it, as much as it gives you an excuse to do all those things. Yes, yeah, totally. Um, I remember. Oh, when my parents split up the first year, I was I was at college, and I spent the year getting drunk and doing drugs yeah. and, and going off the rails because my parents had split up. It hadn't hurt me in any way. <laughs> I was fine with it. It was better for them. It turned out for a good thing. But I had an excuse because I was like, oh, the reason. And the teachers would almost give me an excuse. They go, I know you're going through some tough times. And it was in the second year I had to try and claw it back because I suddenly went, right, so when I'm 40 and stacking shelves in Tesco's, yeah. By the way, nothing it, wrong with stuck no, in shells and Tesco's. Not at all, but it, is my, am I going to be happy with the fact that I can say, oh, it's because my parents split up. Yeah. So I'm still going to be doing something that isn't what I maybe was meant to do or hoped to do. But now, I've, you know, is that excuse worth throwing away your life, essentially? Totally. I think I felt like, I think I got to a stage, and again, this is much later. I mean, I, I really fucked about until my early 30s. Mm. Um, but I definitely got to a stage where I was bored of being a victim. Yeah. You know, I was bored of being like, well, this happened to me and this happened to me, so therefore, fuck it. And, you know, yeah. I'm just going to party till I die. Or I'm yeah. going to, you know, like, that sort of got boring and and a bit childish. Yeah. Um, I was, was going to say, because when we met, uh, I think you had success, but it felt that it was quite recent that mm-hmm. you'd started to get yourself in, in, in line. It didn't feel as if as soon as you had success no. or were told you were good, you suddenly I, I sorted things out. I remember us meeting and you kind of... I'm sure you said something along the lines of, yeah, I used to be kind of mental. I used to, you know, yeah. I, I used to be quite a troubled person. It's like, I'm all right now. Yeah. And it seemed like quite a, a, a recent thing. It didn't seem like that. So it wasn't that instant fix, I guess, that when you have success, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is all fine. You had success and you're like, wow, now, <laughs> in in a way, I can, I can really go off the walls because yeah, 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 I've got totally. access to more stuff now. Totally. This is awesome. Well, and that's it. And I think you then then you have a choice, don't yeah. you? And I think my first choice, sort of in my early thirties, was to stop messing around and to to really see if I could make this writing thing work. Mm-hmm. And that meant not kind of having any of that fallback stuff, you know, yeah. like just letting go of absolutely everything else, so that the only thing that could work for me was writing. That's great. I love that. If you've got something. To- to, f- to fall back on you're more likely to fall back as, to- the, yeah. as the outlook yeah 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 totally and I and that's exactly how I felt and I went to work in a video 
store because I knew that video stores at that point um, were kind of going out of business, which was really sad, but it meant that most of the time I would just be sitting there doing nothing. So I had to, I took a laptop with me, so I had to write. That's great. Um, And it, it barely made enough money for me to pay my rent and my bills. Um, and that, and that was it. So like it it had to work for me. Um, or I had to go get a job, you know, I had to go fulfill the prophecy and work in Tesco. Um, and then, but it still took like, you know, it took a long time. It took like five years to get noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you were doing acting as well originally, right? That yeah. Was kind of... And I think that's part of, I think that's part of my, what my issues were. My, my mom, you know, w- wanted to be an actress right. and, and it just, it didn't quite work out for her. Mm-hmm. And so she pushed all three of us kids into acting very early. So yeah. the first thing, movie I ever did, I was three. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's mad. And I, and so I didn't really have a choice. And so I had a career from three years old. You did the tradition of the bill, which again, I most did. people I have on that are British actors have been in the, Everyone, the bill at some got, point. Got to. I had James Buckley on. And again, it's going to annoy people that everyone was like, oh, are you going to get any podcast done when you're in LA? The two people I've got are British people. Yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 that happens now, but he he was in the bill three times as three different characters. Yeah, and I kind of said this. Did that offend you that you were so unimpactful that they were like, "Oh, we can just put you in again"? As I did as, it three as times as well. Really? Yeah, amazing. I think most people have done it three times. Th- My sister's the done it. The thing that I saw when I was having a quick look uh, last night was you were in a film called Strong Language. I was. Which I had that on video. I loved oh that film. God. I got that back in the day. I was a big fan of Paul Tonkinson yeah. at the time, and I saw he was in it. I don't remember it particularly now, but it's one of... I might still have, have the video of it. It's so. lots of talking heads. Yeah. So it's lots of people talking about an experience, and, yeah. then, and then you realise the experience is... Or they're all talking about separate stories, but they all and link all up comes at the together. end. That's it. I loved it at the time as kind of a, a film st- student and stuff. It was one of those films mm-hmm. that you're like, ah. Oh, that's so clever, it all ties in and all that. But yeah. It was. It, it was, was a weird really one. Good. I saw that come up. I was like, God, that was in the days of video. I would have got that from the video shop. That would have, that would have been a VHS. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's, it's crazy. So, but you were, so the, uh, the, the acting, acting didn't work mm, the way you went. And I, I think, just didn't, I just realised I, I had this career all through my teens you know, that took me out of school a lot as well. Right, wow, well, yeah. And I did all the staples of the bill and casualty and Holby, but also was doing, like, you know, year-long stretches at the National Theatre, year-long stretches right. at the RSC. Um, and I worked a lot. and I, But I never, re- because I was so young, I didn't have, I never got, it wasn't my choice to do yeah. it. It just was a job. And you potentially didn't have, or wouldn't have had the appreciation or excitement of it because it's just something that you've always known. Always it's known. Just, it's mm-hmm. just the standard. And then as I got into my 20s, I realised that I really hated it yeah. and that I, I'm not built to be in front of the camera. I'm quite... you. I mean, you know me, so I don't love meeting new people. Yeah. I don't sure. love parties. Yeah. I'm really happy in my house yeah. with my, you know, six close friends and, and that's it. And so being being in front of the camera for me is a really really odd feeling and I don't like it at all it's, it's quite an interesting one though because I think from the outside everyone sees films and TV or whatever and the <laughs> thing is oh I'd like to be an actor mm. and when you get to go and do that you get to see how many other roles and how many other jobs yeah, there yeah. are within it and that can be a really 
good eye opener because you can go, all right, what I wanted was to be involved in TV and to be involved in films. But all we know as children or whatever is actor or actress. Absolutely. And when you get in there, you can go, wow, I really like the, the camera, camera work yeah. or, 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 the, or the director. Or Again, I think, I think the term, or I think runner is a, is a, a, a put-upon thing because it, it can be an amazing and, a, and crucial part of the team. Like the runner sounds as if it's the person who's just getting Cups teased. But there's been, on the brief experience I've had, there's been some, some runners that are holding shit together and oh kind of God, are really yeah. balancing it. So all of They're those so things, important. all of those things are crafts that you could go. I want to do that actually yeah. and become amazing at it, rather than I want to. I want to be that person right, right at the front saying all yeah, the lines I be on that the might billboard. not be for you. Yeah. No thanks. Um, yeah, it's not. And then you know, my sister on the other hand yeah. stayed in it, and yeah. she's been in Holby City for eleven years, and she and she loves being an actress, yeah. and she's really happy doing that job, yeah. and and she's bloody good at it. Yeah, and fantastic. She just doesn't have that weird. I don't know, and it's not. It, maybe it's shyness. I don't know what it was, but yeah. I just really felt uncomfortable, and then I and then I realized it was a choice that was made for me not a choice that I made for myself but suddenly I'm in my 20s I have no education you know I've been out of school more than I've been in it because of this career that has been sort of thrust upon me and don't really have any money left and I and I don't but I know that I don't want to go to any more auditions and I don't and I don't want to make a I'm not passionate about that being my career yeah sure but what else can I do and so the one thing that was great about being an actress was that I got to see a lot of scripts. Of course. And so that in many ways taught me about how you, the actual mechanics of writing yeah. a script, like how you write it scene by yep, scene. Completely. But also what is sayable and what isn't oh, sayable. Oh, oh, when I asked you advice on, on, on script writing, I was like, if, uh, are there any good books to read or anything like that? And your advice was read good scripts. Yeah. That's, it's as simple as that. That's, yeah. that's, they're good. Rather than one of these cheat your way to win type <clears throat> quick things, I've said just read some good scripts and yeah, and, because and take it from there. A lot of the times, the people that write those books, if you go and look at them on IMDb, they haven't had anything made. So yeah. I don't. So I'm why not, are they? Yeah, the, why are you the great telling, advice or authority on it? But then it's so easy to go online and find a PDF of any episode yeah. of television that you yep. love, any movie that you love, yeah. and that's how you learn. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think you were like, "Would well, just send me scripts, send me scripts. And I'd sent you banks and yeah. all kinds of stuff. And yeah. you you really loved reading scripts. Yeah, completely. I, I adored it, adored the, the structure of it. I think I'd read somewhere, and um, again, we're jumping about a bit, I'd read somewhere that scripts, again, in some advice thing, it has to be quite cold and cutthroat and non-descriptive and all that. And then I read Saving Mr. Banks, and it was the most beautiful and descriptive. I kind of, I felt, almost annoyed that you got a really good accomplished a director to make it because it felt almost like anyone could and I, I don't mean that as an in, insult at, at all it was directed amazingly and it, it came out great but from reading the script I was like I've seen this film now I've read it's, there's so much in on the paper that you don't need to elaborate th- that much more so yeah that kind of thing is yeah I don't I, yeah you don't need to be clean and sterile no. I, I don't think in your descriptions yeah. and you can be flowery and and poetic but just there's ways to do that and still be concise yeah completely um rather than going for pages and pages and pages of, of you know the, the color of the blue of the water of the yeah, you know yeah let's, let's uh, we'll rewind a bit because it's it's kind of insane um 
So you're working in a video shop yeah. and you're writing scripts and trying to write and trying to work. Um, and my mate Tom Hardy is also popping into the video shop, you know, one day a week and helping me give out DVDs, which is amazing. also hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's um, crazy. Because he hadn't quite broken at that point either. So yeah. it was like, it was hilarious. It's a hell of a video shop. But then um, were you actually working there when you sold a script to Steven Spielberg? Yes. Because that's kind of, a, if, if you're going to pick a name unrealistically, <laughs> off the, l- literally <laughs> off the shelves of the video shop, you go, that guy, Steven Spielberg, yeah. I like him. So I like E.T. Yeah. and uh, Jaws is pretty good, so let's... So, Steven, how did Steven Spielberg Oh my God, it's so freaking bonkers. So I wrote, <laughs> so I wrote um, an, this idea for um, this show, which ended up being called Terra Nova, but at the time mm-hmm. was called Gondwana Highway. Right. And, and literally was my least favourite thing that I'd ever written, but I wrote it because... Like, my tendency is to go quite dark or real. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, you know, and again, this sort of goes back to my childhood, I think. I, I've always wanted to make him proud. I've always wanted to, you know, I've got daddy issues, as you can tell from Saving <laughs> Mr. Banks. It's like, how can I make him love me? Maybe if I write something sci-fi, he'll, yeah, you know. Right. And so... Um, and he, you know, I used to go over for Sunday lunch, so he was very much part of the process of talking through what this show could be. And yeah. um, so I wrote this, like, 15-page outline. I had just got an agent because Tom Hardy and I had also been writing a couple of things. We'd written a couple yeah. of pilots together that she had liked. So when I signed with her, she was like, just send me everything. Send me everything you've got. And yeah. so I had the outline for Gondwana Highway. And I also had the outline for a show that I wanted to do about the death penalty called Westbridge. <laughs> and um, she was like, this one, this one with the time travel, I think you can sell that in LA. And I was like, oh, but I don't really it's love the time. Like. <laughs> oh, God. And she was like, I just really feel like that's that's saleable. Yeah. And... and um, actually then a company in England and I'm not going to say their name because I'm actually working for them now and they they're mortified about what happened but they wanted to buy it and because I was an unknown they wanted to buy it from me for five grand right and and my agent was just like that's oh no I think it was even I think it was a grand and my agent was like yeah that's completely outrageous and they were like yeah well she doesn't have a career so she can give it to... And this is a big company. They are, you know, one of the top three. And they were like, she can either give it to us for a grand or not, or not have a career. And, you know, Amazing. England's very cliquey and hard to break into. Yeah. But I was like, no, that just feels like like daylight robbery. Yeah, I mean, and particularly when it's not like it's one that you're... I want to have this made at all costs. Yeah, exactly. It's like the one that you weren't that keen on... Yeah. ...of, of what you had. That it's like, well... No, yes, yeah. it won't happen then. No, yeah. forget it. Yeah. And then, so Lucinda, my agent, was like, look, why don't you try and get the money together to fly out to LA, go there for four weeks, I will introduce you to somebody who can maybe get you some pitches. Mm-hmm. You won't sell the show, and you won't sell the other one either, but it'll be a really good experience to see what pitching to networks is like so that then you can come back to England, sure. really put, like, amazing treatments together and then in a couple of years maybe go back and and repitch and and it seemed like a waste of time 
but I really trusted her opinion. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I managed to scrape together like barely enough money. Um, and I went to stay in this like cockroach ridden place in, in Burbank that was just, I mean, literally there were cockroaches climbing yeah. the walls and the bed came down from the wall Brilliant. you know oh my god yeah. it was I, I and i was like oh my god i'm in la and the bed comes out of the wall and never mind the cockroaches and um she'd introduced me to this guy called aaron kaplan who um had just left wme to become a producer and he's amazing like he produces divorce he produces i mean he's like produces everything right yeah. now catastrophes his awesome um, but at the time he was really like aggressive and hungry because he'd just started doing this as a, a new career right. and so he managed to he put me together with this writer called Craig Silverstein who was really established here because he realized that nobody was going to take a meeting with me because they didn't know who I was yeah, but they would course. if I had Craig's name attached so Craig came on we went out with the show we pitched it in a week you know it was like three pitches a day and it's literally, it's where the acting came in handy because you're literally tap dancing for people. You yeah. get 15 minutes, they're like, go. And you, you're like, well, yeah. And there's this person and this person and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and three networks bought it in the room, which wow. is n- now, I at the time, I was like, oh, is that good? I, I don't know. That's nice. Uh, that's nice. Um, but now looking back, I realized like how incredible that was. Yeah. Um, we ultimately decided to go with Fox. They then brought it, they then, oh, we and Craig then went away, wrote the pilot, and they then decided to send the pilot to both Steven Spielberg and Peter Chernin, who's a big producer. And I was just laughing because I was back at the video shop at this point. <laughs> and Crazy. I was just like, yeah, yeah, Steven Spielberg's going to read the pilot and, you know, I'm going to fucking learn to fly. And then I just remember getting a phone call. It was like Christmas time. And they were like, yeah, Stephen loves it. He wants to produce it. And because Stephen is going to come on as a producer, we're going to go straight to series with the show rather than just making the pilot. Amazing. But you need to come here because, you know, there's some ideas about how they're going to check how they want to change the yeah, show. So of course. for anyone that's seen the show, the show is chock block full of dinosaurs the the pitch for the show never had any dinosaurs. Oh, in really? It. No, it was a time travel show, and there would and it was to a Jurassic period. But like the whole kind of point of the show was that it was very down and dirty. Mm-hmm. It was about restarting civilization and would we fuck the Earth up again yeah. if we got that chance? It was very environmental. Right. Yeah. And it turned into, like, there's computers and this huge, great big portal that everybody goes through. And there's a million dinosaurs. And and I was like, oh, no, this is really not the show I wrote. And so then then I was faced with this decision, which was, do I stay? Because they offered for me to stay and, you know, right. uh, work on, write the show. Um, and they offered me a lot of money that was way more than I was making in a video shop. <laughs> but I knew that, I knew I didn't know how to write that show. Yeah. You know, I knew that if I tried to write that show, I would probably tank my career. And that you'd always be f- fighting against your original mm-hmm. vision of, of what the show is. If, 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 mm-hmm. if something's changed that much, it would make sense to get someone to write it who never knew 
what it's changed from yeah. so that they can make it the best version of what it is rather than you constantly thinking I'm making not the version I wanted to make. Yeah, I'm, I'm sacrificing. Yeah. Um, but and, and truly, truly, and maybe this harks back to, you know, you're useless and you'll work in Tesco's and you'll never yeah, yeah. do anything. I really, truly felt that I was unable to do it as yeah. well, that yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have the skill set. Right. Um, and that I was going to cause them more problems than yeah. than help, and so I, I don't think they took it that way. But I think uh, uh, so. I so I left um, and decided wow. not to work on the show and went back to work in the the video store. Yeah, my dad was crying. He was <laughs> like, "What? Oh my god! How can you not? This is like yeah. it, it turned out to be the most expensive TV show ever made at that time. You yeah. know, it was huge amounts of money that I." potentially could have retired on um but i just six pound fifty in the an uh, hour in the video shop and how old how old, how old were you at that point i, I was about 33 mm. at that point yeah um so so now 10 years ago yeah, yeah. giving away my age <laughs> and yeah that was really 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 tough but that's when saving mr banks came along and so i know that i wouldn't have so Mr. So Banks would never have existed yeah. had I stayed on that show. And yeah, then that's perfect then. And, so, and the show got cancelled and, you know. It didn't, it didn't quite work out. So what was the, the kind of the deal with Saving Mr. Banks? Are you kind of approached with the idea? Yeah, there was um, already a fell script. fell in love with it, right? Yeah, there was already a script, a really great script um, by this writer called Sue Smith who... Uh, but it was much more a birth to death by a pick and much more about uh, her relationship with her son. And So let's, let's say what Save Mr. Banks is about, of yeah. course. So it's... Go on, go, you, do, go you, ahead. Can, you can tell um, Well, I mean, it's exciting because it's got a lot of, of, of Disney involvement, but it's about um, essentially the writing of Mary Poppins mm-hmm. or, or, or the... Or the licensing of Mary Poppins to turn it into a movie, the fight to get it mm-hmm. and, and then... And then to get it made, and, yeah. the, and Emma Thompson is, is 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 wonderful as the constantly unsatisfied with how they're doing <laughs> yeah. it, and yeah, as she walked in and kind of, uh, I, w- I walked in to walk Disney and would repeatedly say, "No, that's not that's not right. That's not good. That's not <laughs> yeah," which is amazing. Yeah, she and I, and she was much worse in real life than she was in the movie, believe yeah. it or not. Amazing. Um, so Alison Owen, who's the producer, who's Lily Allen's mum. Yep. Yep. She came to me um, with that script and she was like, look, can we make it this? Um, yeah. Which is, so the whole movie just about the making of, or the or trying yes. to make Mary Poppins. And so they had a script that was a complete biopic and there was a little t- a section in the middle that she kind of saw as what was the real story and, and yeah. came to you to kind of yeah. say, look, do you want to do some research on this? And Yeah, well, she'd done a ton of research. Yeah. So she knew that there were like extra, there were loads of stuff, um, like you know, uh, P.L. Travers had said there couldn't be any red in the film, and that she had cried at the premiere, and that there was just like a ton of information yeah. that she sort of hit me with. That I was like, oh wow, this is great, but also, I was really naive, and I kind of was like, I believed in the movie, and I I loved the story, yeah, but wasn't thinking ahead to the fact that Disney owned this film, plus Walt Disney's in the film, and mm-hmm. the Disney company had always said, we'll never, ever make a movie that has Walt Disney in it. Yeah. Um, and it had the songs from Mary Poppins in it. 
so there was only one company that could ever, that could one studio that it, yeah. could ever make the movie, and you never want to write. It. Yeah, so you don't how you're, you're writing a script that can't get made. You've got a very slim chance, yeah, of it, yeah. Of it ever getting made. It's like not even a one in a million. It's, it's like, kind of it's a weird one because it's also in in many ways a love letter to a particular production company as well. So, so whilst yeah. you're you're you're, you're limiting yourself, it is also saying. Look at how great you guys are. Would you like to make this film about... Do you know what I mean? Is that weird? It's a weird balance, but yeah. It was. Incredibly restrictive. But it was also, you know, but it was also controversial for them as well because that movie has Walt Disney smoking, it has Mm -hmm. him drinking, it has a lot of the stuff that, that, you know, that they've spent a lot of time trying to avoid showing because there's so many children that are, you know, that watch Disney movies and look up to Walt Disney. So it was a big... It was just a massive, massive gamble. Yeah. But I just felt like I had to write it. It was in my soul. There were many, many things about her life that I really related to. Mm-hmm. And that, it, yeah, it wouldn't get made, but that it would be a great sample. Meaning right. it would be a script that could go out into the world and get me other jobs. Yeah, for sure. And so while they were all off in... Australia making the dinosaur show I was sitting in the video shop or in the shed at the bottom of my yard in the pissing rain you know tapping out saving Mr Banks because also at that time sorry just going back what happened when I sold Terra Nova was the following week I also sold the death row show to Showtime and so when I had been leaving Terra Nova, I guess I had secretly hoped that Westbridge would go. Okay. Um, and then sadly, Bob Greenblatt, who was the head of Showtime at that time, took his job over at NBC. And right. and that kind of meant that in the shuffle, all the shows that he had picked up yeah. didn't move forward. So it had been picked up, but hadn't been pushed to, to pilot, pilot or, or mm-hmm. anything else. So, Like I'd written the pilot and that's where yeah. it had ended. So yeah. that was kind of sad. Um, and so I really was back at square one. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, wrote Saving Mr. Banks pretty quickly. And then uh, we got a cease and desist letter from Disney. So they were just like, you, you don't try to do this, you know, like you're not pushing forward on this movie. Oh, wow. They hadn't read it, but they just knew that we were out there doing something that had Walt Disney That's in amazing. it. Yeah. And so they were fully ready to shut us down or try, or they did shut us down. And then Alison was really smart. Like she sent the script to, a, to everyone in Hollywood. So yeah. all the agents, all the producers, and it got on the blacklist. So the blacklist is this, script site yeah. uh, script list of the best unproduced screenplays each year yeah. and she cr- managed to create this buzz about the, you know everyone was reading it and loving it which uh, you know I'm eternally grateful for and they uh, and so there was this buzz about it to the point where this amazing exec at Disney called Tendo Nagenda was like we can't ignore this script anymore amazing. you know like we yeah. actually have to read this thing because yeah. everyone's loving it and so he read it and to his credit, and Disney's, I mean, he went to Disney and, and Sean Bailey and and um, I think it was Alan Horn at the time who was the head of Disney and just said, look, if we're going to make a film that has Walt Disney in it, this is probably the one, this is the one to make, to make yeah. because we're not whitewashing him and saying he was like the greatest guy that ever lived, but yeah. he's pretty great in this yeah. film. 
but we're also saying he was a human being that was fallible too yeah. and he's not the lead like it's not the movie's not about what yeah it's not a a Walt Disney film. He's, it's not he's, a Walt he's, Disney biopic. He's, he's in it. He's he's a character, but yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. It's not even an Neil Travers biopic. Is yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's, yeah, it's this weird kind of yeah. yeah. That was a bit of a slip of the tongue. Oh, what did I say? E. L. Travers. Oh, well, we'll get E. L. P. L. Um God, I've only just I've only just thought about that. Authors. Ooh. Uh, PL and EL. Yeah. Um, so, PL <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. So, uh, yeah. So, amazingly, the Dis- Disney were just like, we're going to make it. And we made, and they brought in John Lee Hancock as the director, yeah. who is literally the most incredible man yeah, I've ever known. Yeah. Um, At what point was Tom Hanks yeah. brought in? Because my feeling was, if they've said, they're never going to have, have, have Walt Disney in the film. <clears throat> I could see a proviso unless it was Tom Hanks unless playing it Tom Walt Because, it, again, it seems like the perfect it fix. It seems like the only person who could, that, who could That's do that. 100% yeah. how it went. Bob Iger, who, who like is the big, 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 huge, 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 huge yeah. boss of Disney, I think spoke to Disney's daughter and they were like, it has to be Hanks. It has to be Hanks. Yeah. And Bob phoned Tom personally and was like, I am asking you to play Walt Disney, which is a pretty amazing phone call. Yeah. Um, and Hanks was had been obsessed with Disneyland and had been obsessed with Walt Disney all his life, yeah. which I I didn't know, or I don't think anyone knew, or maybe Iger did. And he and he was like, Well, yeah, you, you know, like I'm not going to. Bob Iger's calling me; he's asking me to play Disney. Yeah. So I don't think he'd even read it's the, the script. It's the phone calls you can't. As, as I say no to, when I had Stephen Graham on, he was saying he hadn't heard from Martin Scorsese in ages and Martin rung him to say, I need you to play Al Capone. <gasps> and it's like, oh. number one, it's Martin <laughs> say Number two, it's Al Capone. It's, yeah, it's that exact thing. It's like, well, yes, obviously. Yeah, I don't need to, <laughs> to read anything or talk to anyone. That's a yes. And we'll, <laughs> we'll continue on. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, well, that's what happened with Hanks. And, of mm. course, he just ended up... He's just perfect. He's yeah. just perfect for it. And then Emma had been my dream from the moment I'd started putting that voice on the page. Like for me, it had to be Emma. And, you know, as you know, Emma is also the most wonderful. I mean, it just was like the planets aligned and it ended up being the most beautiful experience. The cast just was, was so great with, with Colin Farrell in there as well. With with Jason Schwartzman, it just, everyone with, Ruth Wilson, who you essentially yeah. cast in, in a an lift. elevator, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> no. You're like, this girl should be, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I love God, it. that's another person I've tried to set you up with. Yeah. Um, uh, my for podcast listeners, all I try to, all I do is try to set Pip up. When I keep he's, telling when you not, not to. In, I keep telling you it's single. not gonna, it's not gonna work. Yeah, I know. I'm giving up. I'm giving up. Um, but I do love Ruth. Like Ruth's wonderful. I don't want that to, to sound as if I'm like, no, I was like, no way. No, I, no, She's no. Awesome. And you guys ended up being mates. Yeah. It, um, but I'm just constantly the person. <laughs> you two are like, no, we're all right. We're really, yeah. we're really fine. Stop. We're just good friends. And I'm like, no, but what if you got married? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so it all it all came together, and it and it it all happened, and it, it was did. It, yeah. Even down to that. Well, Ruth, I'd seen in Luther, so I was obsessed with her, yeah, and I was staying. She's amazing. At, oh Luther, my god, she? she well, she's just amazing in everything. Yeah. She's amazing, amazing actress, and she was in this elevator at the Four Seasons. Because <laughs> also, 
the whole thing was crazy. They kept flying me out and put me up in the Four Seasons, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is," you know, like I, I still had my video shop job, so it was bizarre. That's so insane. And and I saw in the elevator, and I was like, "This is going to sound really weird." And I think Ruth told you this story from her point of view because <laughs> yeah. she's literally like, "Oh, there's a nutter in yeah. the lift. Yeah. It's so LA because everyone Let in LA's in. got a script, yeah, 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 as well." So I was like, "I've got this script," and you could just see her face drop. And I was like, "And I just would really love it if you would read it, but like, there's a part in there for you." I hadn't even asked John Lee about yeah. this or Disney, <laughs> and I was like, "But you'd be so good." And and Tom Hanks is in it, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah." And I'm like, "And Emma Thompson?" She's like, "Yeah, of course she is." Like she totally was like, "This is a fucking lunatic I mean, person." And <laughs> this, this feels like a good point to um, tell the story of how we met. Yes, go, with, um, go just, for it. Uh, <laughs> because it feels similar in that no, way. No, I that totally I, obsess I, about people, and I like. I I, I got an email off you, and you, you were did. saying, um, "I've got this well, idea." At first, I was that, trying to tweet at you, but you just never. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's even worse. But you, yeah, you emailed me saying, "I've got this um, idea for a project I want to do. It's a musical. It's this, this, this." And I came back not like in a friendly way. I feel yeah. I don't think I was rude or anything. I was like, "No, I, I'm, I've got a lot of projects on. It's not really my kind of thing." Yes, but thanks Thank a lot. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Um, and you came back Gutted. saying uh, the plan would be to have Tom Hardy in the lead and to have Paddy Considine direct it and things like that. And I was like, "All right, well, let's uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's let's maybe let's maybe have a chat and talk." And it actually is it's genuine. I've, I've told this a few times. It it made me change down the line. It made me change my because, as you know, I'm always juggling a million things, and I'm always and you get a lot of emails. Oh, busy! I get a lot of stuff, but it made me try as often as I can when I get an email about a project, a proper project I think to try and even if I know I'm going to say no, to say no in person because yeah. if you hadn't hounded like you hounded me in that way and we became a really good mate yeah. and it was you know, if if you'd decided not to that wouldn't have happened so I kind of, I've, I had a few particularly directly after that where I had to say look let's have a meeting, I want to tell you in advance it's not going to happen or it's probably not going to happen but it was that thing of it can be really easy on emails to just go no yeah no and not know no, what you're and move on and not know what you're passing on or, or, yeah. or anything like that as, as, as yeah you've got a history of of um of, of stalking of people. stalking people catching them and then saying tom hanks is going to be in it and and then we're going really who is this person what's going on here I know that was such a red rag. You saying no, though, was such a red rag to a ball for me. Because <laughs> yes. I was How like, you? have been a fan, as you know, I've been a fan for a really long time of your music. Yeah. And I always was like, and I still want to, we should still actually have to do something together. Yeah. Um, although now, of course, I want to just cast you in my, in my stuff. <laughs> um, but I... Like in my head, I was always like, I've got fucking got to do a musical with this guy. Like he's yeah. just brilliant. Yeah. And um, so you saying, yeah, now nah, I was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to, ah. I was like. Oh. But that's it. But then we had some back and forth and it did. You explained it more and it did. I ended up, I recorded a little you did. sample of a spoken wordy type yeah. drama scene and things like that. So and then the project came... genuinely engaged me. It, it, it wasn't simply a here's some good names that I'm like, oh, I like the sound of them. So it, it well, was and, good that it worked yeah, in that way. And we got on, we met, didn't we, in, yeah. in Soho House, I think. Yes. Yeah. So wanky, but anyway. <laughs> and um, we got on as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I think 
I think we'd only met once and then you came to stay with me in LA. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's something we've been talking about for a really long time. Yeah. You've got very We'll get busy. around to it at some point. So while you the were filming... career now. Yeah, it's all the going all right. pip Wow. This, <laughs> it's the first time I've been out in LA and I've been able to stay in my own place and not have to hassle you for somewhere to... You're to always stay. welcome. I You're know, always welcome in our house. Um, but um, So while you were filming Saving Mr. Banks, yeah. um, I don't know who found an abandoned dog at the side of the road. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. So we were filming we were filming Saving Mr. Banks and we had moved to um, these stages out in... Uh, where were we? I think we were in Simi Valley, right. and which is miles away. And we were f- filming the um, the present day, or the you know the uh, the present day of the movie part yeah. of the film. So we'd been out shooting in the desert, doing Australia, and now we were doing mainly stages. And so we were all driving the same route to work every day. And one of the grips had seen this little mutty, ratty dog running along the side of the freeway that morning. And they had been in the fast lane, so they hadn't been able to get over to where he yeah. was and get him. Um, so they came to set and they were like, oh, this dog's definitely dead. And I mean, he was running along the freeway and, yeah. you know, um, but they'd said that they would drive the same route, but go in the slow lane the following morning just to see if he was still there. Yeah. And he was. Oh, wow. So they pulled over, got him, brought him to set. And I came out of my trailer and there was, and I saw them sort of walking this little, you know, Banks is, yeah. looks like a rat. I yeah. mean, you know, and this little dog around. And I was like, oh, my God, who's this, this dog? He's amazing. And they were like, it's your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they were like, we don't know what to do with him. Like, he didn't have any, he didn't have a chip. He didn't have a yeah. collar. He still had his balls. You know, he cl- mm. He was all dreadlocked and matted yeah, and yeah. emaciated. So I commended everybody's assistant so everybody lost their assistant for the day they all volunteered that's hanks's assistant emma thompson's assistant the director's assistant i was like yeah sorry you're all gonna have to get your own cups of tea today i need your assistance had them plaster the area that the dog was found with posters of him right yeah had one of them take him off to go get washed because obviously we all had to stay on set And um, one of them went off to Petco to buy, like, you know, dog. I was like, hey, get him everything, get him yeah. everything. And then he came home with me that night to the little Venice house that yeah. you first stayed in. And by the next morning, I commended everybody's assistance again to take all the posters down. Because I was like, no, I'm keeping him. <laughs> I don't care. Don't Whoever let this dog there. loose and didn't chip yeah. him, doesn't deserve him, I'm yeah. keeping him. It's like overnight love affair. And then, and then he fell in love with you. Yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's why I, I love about the whole that this was a seemingly abandoned dog. I don't think that's too much of a, a jump. No, he, had nothing, he was a mess. And nothing yeah, yeah, and was in bad shape. He had worms, um, and... and he's now got a better life than whoever abandoned him. By <laughs> yeah. like, he was named by Tom Hanks, and, and, he was, and all these, so then so. Hanks was like, "Well, I'll take him. I'll take him because Hanks has a bunch of dogs as well." And I was like, yeah. "No, no, I'm fucking good. no, you're one. not coming." This is like a big me and Hank. There was a Hanks off, <laughs> brilliant. Um, and I and I won, but like literally by day two. Mr. Banks, the dog, yeah. had his own trailer. Brilliant. And so Brilliant. I came to set the next day. It's, and it's very. This is going to sound odd, and only if they've heard. It's very much like um, 
Rob Parker on Taboo, who's 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 been in in on 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 the podcast. He was he was very much an extra, but we all took him under our wing. Yeah. And on the last, genuinely on the last day, he was overwhelmed because he had his own trailer. Oh. He generally had been in everyone else's. Then he walked past one and it said Rob Parker. No, no I think he had his character name, so I think he just had Cole on there, and he was like, "Is that? Oh. Is that it's like yeah, you've got your own." You can oh, and train I love us. it. He's the Mr. Banks of, oh. of, of, of Taboo. <laughs> oh. But yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, you took him in. And... You took him in and he came and that was it. So we still had, you know, I think a month and a half of filming to go. And yeah. so he came to set every day and he had his own Amazing. trailer and everyone, obviously I had to be in Video Village most of the time. And I don't know if you've ever explained what Video Village is on this podcast. It's, no, I probably haven't. But it's where the writer, director, producer all sit and watch monitors of what's happening on the yeah. set. And and that and Video Village is on the set. So he everyone that had free time would just pop over to the trailer and take him for little walks Brilliant. and then, you know, came with me every day and, and he's still here. The dog on set's a, a a wonderful thing, surely. Everyone must It was really, really nice adore and, that. Well, they're good if they don't bark. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The Flash, who's our other rescue, yeah. would just be a nightmare on set. He's a nightmare. I, I, I always remember on, on one of my visits, I guess it was was probably my last one, just before I came out, you kind of emailed to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm only there for the first a few days. I've got to I go to New York, I think it was, uh, to work. And you're like, would you mind dog sitting? And it was like, <laughs> I mean, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. <laughs> You're asking me if I can come and, and and live in your house that's got a pool and a dog. I was like, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. We'll get a couple of days of hanging out, and then yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more than happy with that. And then and that's when you met the coyote. Yeah, yeah, which terrified me. It was again. I'd, I'd seen posters and signs, but in England, as you know, we don't have any predators of our pets. No, and I'd kind of thought it was a, a, a silly thing, and then yeah. Most nights, if I walked him at night, mm-hmm. which I'd always, I'd, t- I'd take him out at some point in the evening. But yeah, most nights I'd, I'd bump into a, a coat or see one at distance at yeah. some point and be like, right. And they come out go. in the daytime now as well. The like they direction. just don't give a shit. They don't Crazy, give a shit. Aren't they? Yeah. It's really scary. So, so yeah. let's, let's, I mean, we're getting up to the hour mark, which has now become my catchphrase. And I'm now trying to make the fact that it's become my catchphrase become my catchphrase. So <laughs> after I say it, now I say that. So it's going to, in the end, I'm going to have a 10-minute thing, I say, every time. But um, let's talk a bit about Fifty Shades, if we can, because we were going to talk before and we couldn't, yeah. really. Well, what we was... couldn't before because I just, I think I just got the job and so I was got, yeah. not allowed to talk about yeah, it Yeah, it was anyway. all brand new and all very under lock and key. Um, you know, Fifty Shades is such a difficult one for me because every time I talk about it, something ends up being quoted that... Yeah, that's like, it. But this isn't the podcast that's hunting for any controversial stuff. No, not stuff at all. It doesn't matter. Why, like, even... that, that's why I thought, I'll say the words of Fifty Shades and then I'll shut up and yeah. let you say what you're, yeah, you and, want to and say. Yeah, and I don't know that, that what, you know, like I think everything I've got to say about it has been said. Mm. Um, and that, you know, even when I try to speak about it genuinely, someone will find the more salacious part right. of what yeah, I'm saying sure. and misquote it and then it will end up hurting other people which, um, again, yeah. to do with the movie which I don't, want. Want, well, I don't want I mean, to do how did it come about in the in, in the first so place because I think there was a lot of motivation to have strong and talented women. female mm-hmm. on, 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 on board on the writing on board on the 
the yeah. director and all of that. So that was for yeah. sure. And I think that was a really, I think that was a really great move by the studio. And yeah. and because you know, and there's been a lot in the press about this lately. There's not, you know, there's not a lot of female directors that get to do these big tentpole movies. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it is mainly men, and and it is starting to. Uh, change a little bit but not mm-hmm. really like if you look at um i think there was an article out yesterday that said that paramount slate is all men through 2018 they don't have wow. a single female director on any of their big movies mm-hmm. um and a lot of those men are first-time directors so it's you know it's a shame why yeah yeah um it's a thing there was a really interesting um ariz ahmed gave a speech recently. i think it was a was it the Houses of Parliament or some kind of, of, of event? And he was speaking on 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 the limit on the directing front mm-hmm. of, of black or Asian people. And again, it's another one that there's a gradual turn mm-hmm. and people are going, Oh right, so black and Asian writers and directors are winning a lot of awards and stuff now, so there's no justification yeah. for it to no. be such a, a, a swayed and such a slanted kind of yeah, and thing. Never and it's the same been. with with women, it's and, and particularly in TV, with things like Fleabag and, ch- and chewing gum and stuff like that, where writers and and the OA, mm-hmm. where, where writers are going, I'm going to write it and be in it and make it, and you're going to go, oh wow, this is one of the best things that's been produced this year. Yeah. So it kind of it's making people go, it's not, it's not even a case of of box ticking of saying, oh, we need need to level things out because of equality or because of anything else. I mean, there's definitely an argument. For, for that because the counter argument tends to be people should be there on merit but if you've got a system that has been has been very sexist for a long time then they've not got the chance to be there on merit because they're already blocked out if that makes sense so again it's it's uh, i've i've before i've argued with people about the podcast before where i say no i don't look specifically for women or specifically for for men but when i had josie long on i said she made great points and all of that of saying yeah but a lot of the people I go for people who I'm excited about or are in my on my radar. There's a lot of people that haven't got the chance to be on my radar because of right. certain industry uh, right. approaches. So yeah, yeah it does have to be a more a valid effort or conscious effort to, yeah. to change that. And no. Fifty Shades was one of them. It was it was it was very much that. It was very much they're very much here's addressing how we're trying to put it together. The, a diversity issue, and I really appreciate that. And I think, and you know. And then, but and then, just speaking to your point, you know that movie made a lot of money, um, and it was three women. It was Sam Taylor Johnson headed up the film as the director. Um, I was the screenwriter mm, to a certain extent, and E.R. James was the author. Yeah. And you know, it made a shit ton of money. I mean, yeah. it made an enormous amount of money. And so, but then when it came to the sequels, and I'm not saying this just because it's us. I feel like this is something industry wide. They brought in men. Yeah. Um, so you know, uh, the two follow-up films are written by men and directed by a man. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't make any sense because because the first movie was headed up by women and was an enormous, enormous success. So I don't understand why y- you can still have a success as women. Yeah. And you know, have a huge box office opening. And make a shit ton of money, and yet you'll still be replaced by men. Not and and by the way, having said that, Sam and I weren't coming back anyway, so it's not yeah. like we were replaced. Of course, but um, there's options still. There's a. It's but you know, good. and I think it's a it's a more dan- it's a dangerous move 
because of the content and, and, and subject matter, because a Fifty Shades is one that, as a story or as a book, has been attacked at points by feminists mm-hmm. and by people saying, but the the prevailing d- defence is, well, this is one woman's opinion and mm-hmm. view, so you can't you can't say that it's it's misrepresentation or whatever because it's one it's it was r- written by a woman. Whereas when if if a man had written Fifty Shades, for example, oh, it would have been tough. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah. have been a tough one. I, I wouldn't want to have been that man. Yes, yeah. so, and so that's why it's kind of a bizarre move, in my opinion, that on the follow-up you wouldn't keep having that kind of yeah you want because have you that want... female perspective even if it's just to keep it all in check to make sure that you're totally. you're doing you you're representing in the correct manner yeah totally and obviously erica's there you know yeah. she's there to to keep it in check and obviously you know and the head of the studio is a woman donna langley as well so there are right. still very strong female voices in the room yeah. and i too defend erica's right to write what she wants and from her point of view. And, and while I understand the arguments uh, that some people have about Fifty Shades, I just don't see it in that yeah. way at all. And it's just that thing that n- no one can speak for everyone. No. I, I had this brilliantly uh, pointed out to me when I had Jordan Gray on the podcast, who um, is a transgender lady uh, who's from Tilbury, just up the road from me, yeah. in a kind of area where that isn't acceptable at all. Yeah. And it was a fantastic conversation. And she, and she had to pause me at one point when I was asking questions. She was like, I need to let you know, I can only answer on my behalf. I can't speak. Because I was asking, because again, I'm ignorant. Yeah. I'm ignorant to a lot of it. And I think that can be key in a podcast to ask the question so that anyone who's listening who might not be sure what, if this is acceptable, if this is acceptable. And yeah, I felt like an idiot in, in a beautiful way because she was, was lovely about it. But yeah, I was kind of asking for her to speak on behalf of the whole of every transgender yeah, individual yeah. in the world, and she's like, "Well, no, I can speak for me, yeah. and what offends me, and what doesn't offend me, and how I feel about this, and my outlook on that." But not everyone, and it, it's 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 the same with that. It's fine to not agree with Fifty Shades. It's fine yeah, to absolutely. be against the meaning of it, but it's you can't really tell someone off for for not feeling against it if that makes sense no and it's look it's erica's art that's her art that is her her but you know i challenge anybody who's um having a go at her to sit down and write a novel for for a start Mm -hmm. because that's really hard to do and she did it um and also yeah you know what it has a bunch of sex in it and a rich guy with a helicopter and but if you look at that book for me anyway What's really interesting about it is that it talks about um, abuse and how we can use our sexuality as catharsis for abuse. That's, Mm -hmm. for me, what spoke to me about the book and what I really loved about the character of Christian and how this girl heals him. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I totally see why people have issues with it, but I think if you look deeper, and I know that people will also question whether there is anything deeper there mm-hmm. um but if you do look deeper there is yeah. and um and that's what drew me to that book yeah um and i also you know you've got to take your hat off to her she wrote she's not she didn't just write one yeah she wrote three actually she's written another one four. yeah yeah um so i can't write four books no and the other thing that's really important about to know about those books is that you know I um, obviously spent an enormous amount of time with Erica 
um, during the process of this movie and she would get emails all the time from people who'd never read before. So she would get like, Fifty Shades would have been like the first book that anybody had read. Yeah. You know, um, and she got so many people kind of reading again and yeah. and women being able to talk about abuse and um, controlling situations that they've been in. I saw some of the emails that she got and it definitely made me feel like, yeah, you know what, she's, uh, overall, she's done a really good thing. Yeah, yeah, um, completely. And so, yeah, nothing but respect. Yeah, that's really. great. So, So what's kind of ahead um because because you are someone who is it's interesting and we've we've probably and not got time to get into it in great detail but 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 you are someone who gets called in for to give notes on scripts and to give Mm -hmm. help on scripts or or rewrites and you've you've rewritten and you've been rewritten so Mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting process how that works you kind of think that when you go and see a film well that was was written by that person when there's 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 tons of things and and with the with say for Mr. Banks being a, a prime example, you you Took wrote that script, but you, and... but it was from someone else's work yeah. originally. So the body of it is yours, but the idea is there, and this yeah. is kind of these these crossover areas. So yeah, <laughs> how is that? How weird is that to be to, to be rewritten and, and to, be to be asked re- to come in and yeah. work on someone else's work? Um, you know, to be rewritten is. Uh, it's not easy. It's it's hard. It's painful. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it depends which one it is. So like for Terra Nova, for example, Brennan Braga came in to take over show running that show and mm-hmm. turned it into his. And actually, I think he did an amazing job. And I love Brennan. Yeah. And um, because that's what they wanted for the show, I think he executed what yeah. they wanted brilliantly. Um, so for me, that wasn't a painful experience at yeah. all, particularly because I had walked away. Fifty Shades, I was rewritten as well by a number of different people. Um, And that did hurt um, only because it was sad to see what I had wanted to do originally kind of disappear. Mm -hmm. And I I felt like I had more to give on that. But at the same time, you know, you you kind of do know when you're... I, I think you know when you get to a point where you you're kind of done or you can't really see it in the way that everybody else is seeing yeah what your vision isn't the same as their vision so it's kind yeah. of a like there's an episode of a show that i wrote recently and I'm, and again i'm not going to say the title of it but i uh went in and said you know here's what i want to do with it this is the way that i see it mm-hmm. you know i saw it very small like a two-hander very play-like and eventually the studio and the producers kind of wanted to go a different way yeah. and i and at that moment and th- and they were f- fine with me continuing on it and going that way but at that at that point i was like you know what that's just not what excited me about this in the first place yeah. that's not what i feel I want to write, and so it's time for me to leave and for you to bring in another writer to overwrite me rather than me trying to flog a dead horse and and eventually not giving you what you want. And there's no no hard feelings about that. Nobody's not speaking to each other. It's all fine. It's just you you recognise when it's time to bring another writer in. Yeah, it's better to do what you do to the best of your ability than to do what someone else kind of... Or what a different version. Yeah, do it badly. Yeah. Um, you know, 
and and I feel by the way I feel that about you know everything that I've been rewritten on I really am you know I want it to be what they want it to be and yeah. if I can't get it there then somebody else has to get yeah. it there that said I feel like on these on a lot of big movies big studio movies it's getting ridiculous so you will come in to rewrite and you'll see 20 other writers names on a script right and that for me is part of the industry that I've really really loathe in yeah. that you you know like as soon as something's not working now it's really easy to just move on to the next writer and move on to the next writer right, and move on to the next one instead of like you know if the writer wants to continue working it out and like pushing yeah. forward and pushing forward until you get what you're all looking for works, yeah. the script that I wrote for Saving Mr. Banks is not the script that ended up on the screen, you know, there's, I mean, the majority of it is, but, you know, Disney wanted some changes and John Lee wanted some changes and Hanks wanted some changes and those changes got made. Um, but they were changes that I felt could be made without being detrimental to the film. And I was lucky in the studio didn't go, right, bring in the next writer, bring in the next writer. You know, they stuck with the same writer and that's why I feel that film is whole and it has one voice and it's uniform. Yeah. But I can watch a ton of movies now, big movies, and hear 20 different voices. Yeah. And see that it's kind of a mishmash and feels like a patchwork quilt. And yeah. That, and that is, that I think that's a really sad state that we're in. Having said that, I'm one of the people that comes in and does that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. It's um, tough. It's tough to have some, it's, as you know, I'm a big fan of, 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 of the superhero movies. And I spoke a lot on Suicide Squad when it came out because I didn't I didn't personally enjoy it but it felt mm. like it was one of those films where man you've got to have so many people involved in that because it's part of a greater universe right. there's individual characters that have all been cast amazingly with mm-hmm. huge people so it felt that what I didn't enjoy about that film was almost unavoidable or, or what got me in to see that film caused what I didn't enjoy about right. that film what got me so in was the amazing voices. cast the yeah. amazing a, a lineup. In the end, all of that made that impossible to be a smooth working process, if yeah. that makes sense. And I felt that that came across. So, it's, yeah, it's a weird time in cinema, I guess, that there's there's going to be a lot of these things where there's a lot of... There's just no authorship anymore, place. and it's it's re- on those big ones, you yeah. know, it's really sad. And but, then- but, again, we see a kind of change in that when you've got things like, I said, Atlanta and the OA, and these things where, I know these are TV shows, but there's individuals are going, I'm writing this and producing it and being in it and it's well, it's 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 the ultimate one voice but they've now won tons of awards but, so that kind of the, risk has been the oscars taken as well the oscars yeah. they don't go to the big movies that have yeah. 20 20 writers on yeah, them they sure. go to moonlight yeah they go to la la land yeah they go to people with a they singular vision between the two and a singular voice yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's yeah oh god <laughs> that was horrible that was awful i was li- literally in my living room going oh my god yeah. oh no um, but you know, the, the people that get, that win those awards and get nominated and end up being, you know, the best films of the, well, not the best films, but the most liked films yep. of the year are the people that have one clear voice, one clear yep. vision. And, you know, I feel like studios kind of need to listen to that, you yep. know, and let people just move through with their vision. Like you and I talk about, um, Jason, uh, Siegel's Muppets movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he had such a vision for that. And yeah. he had such a clear, clear vision for it. And he 100%. and Nicholas saw it all the way through to the end. And it's why it's a great film. It's a yeah. really great, it's brilliant film. Yeah. And it didn't have 20 writers brought into it. Um, and the movies that work like that, tend to look at the credits they yeah. tend to have although actually you won't like it's not going to help looking at the it's credits not help these days at the credits, you know? <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah but yeah it's it's those singular visions yeah. that are the, that ones, are the ones that, that work. work so 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 what's ahead that you can talk about again it's always a tough one with anyone in the film industry because there's normally a million projects i had james buckley on and he was like there's can't loads of things I'm excited about, but I literally can't <laughs> tell you anything. I want to, but yeah. Um, no, I can tell you some stuff. So I'm going to do. Um, I'm doing. A, uh, I'm going back to my roots, and I'm doing a job it, uh, for a UK company. And again, I'm not going to say who the company is yep. because it's the company that um, yep. offered me a grant yep, for yep, yep, yep. But <laughs> things have changed a bit now. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to do a remake of Whistle Down the Wind for Amazing. them, which I'm really excited about bringing it to modern day. Um, and I just love that story and I really hope I can do it justice. And then um, the show that, and this is, an exclusive view, Pip, because I'm really not allowed to talk about it, but I shall because you're my friend. Excellent. Um, the show that I sold to Showtime all those years ago when I sold Terra Nova, the one that's about Death Row. Yeah. The pilot of which you've actually read. I've read, I've loved it, yeah. Um, uh, has just been pit- bought again. So Amazing. weirdly nothing, that's another thing that uh, is so interesting to me in this town or in this industry is that nothing's ever dead. Yeah. Um, completely when I had had Kurt Sutter on the thing that he was the most excited about I'm not sure if he even said on on the podcast or not was the first script he ever wrote he's like I've got some interest in it again and it's a film and it's like it never went anywhere it never happened but it was the first thing I wrote and I've always felt it's good it's amazing how that happens and that you can go off and write and particularly with him with Sons being 12 episodes a series for however like he's written hundreds of scripts since and it's like I'm now getting a chance to go back and, and do this. Oh, so that's nice in the that. same way that it's, yeah. I love, it wasn't Southpaw, no. No, 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 no. Um, oh, he's, oh, fucking hell, yeah. he's a genius. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's it's, exciting It's then. weird. It's so weird that these things come back around and uh, that one. How is it revisiting all the characters and that? Because again, they're oh kind of gosh. characters you knew and then you haven't spoken to in a long time yeah. as such. I know it's so weird to get back in a room with them, yeah. and I, as you know, it's that one's been my my baby yeah. and the yeah. one that I've loved and that I've just desperately, desperately wanted to do for such a long time, and and you know it's a really controversial subject matter. Um, yeah, it's tough. We're talking about the death penalty, and so I, I think it's been a difficult one for people to really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really lucky in that I've found just and stars are amazing, and yeah. they're brave, and they're just like yeah. So you know, again, it's in development. Who knows? There's still a really long way to go before it actually gets made, but. Um, writing the scripts now and it's just so lovely to to go back and see all of those characters yeah. that I'm in love with amazing um and just think about you know and it's really nice to actually be thinking about like who could play certain characters yeah. it's kind of it's it's often depressing when you revisit someone from or something from a long time ago and that's 
kind of dark and heavy and it's still really relevant. Yes. If you know what I mean. Like when you you wrote that, I'm sure you would have felt in five, ten years this won't like, be relevant anymore. Yeah, but and it's it still won't be able a very to be relevant made. and yeah. Really relevant in that I just read the other day that Arkansas are trying to uh, execute eight people in the next two weeks or something. Wow. It's just extraordinary to me, especially for us. We're from England, so we don't don't have the death penalty. Um, So it's really fascinating to me that this thing still exists and then all the machinations behind it. Um, Yeah. And as you know, I went to Texas and I went to Huntsville and, and visited death row and... yeah did all of that stuff and it is quite a fascinating and very deeply complex subject matter it's it, it's it's crazy because anything and this this translates to to the whole the mad world of hollywood anything that becomes your day-to-day becomes normalized yeah um and and whether that's being on set and being a diva or being whatever else, it becomes normalised. It's not necessarily that they're a bad person, but all they've ever known is that someone always has your food unwrapped and right. for you when you, you walk off, <laughs> things like that. It's what you know. And similarly, if what you've always known is, oh, yeah, we kill people here every every week. That's yeah. It's, it's not a weird thing. It's not a big thing. In, at times, it will be a thing of pride for a Completely. town or for the people who live there, that we're the, we're the ones that deal with this get rid of the evil from the earth and so on and so forth. the rest of you, yeah. 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 It's crazy. And, you know, it's also very, um, you know, economically it's a very important thing because, you know, those prison towns are what give those communities a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what I mean by it is deeply complex. You know, it's a a really... um, it's a really interesting situation and as a result of being there and seeing all of it, the show very much does not take a take a stance. It doesn't yeah. have an opinion about the death penalty. It just yeah. is what it is. Again, I, I, that's what I liked and what surprised me when I read it, that it's not this, a look at all these nasty people. It's a matter of fact, these are humans. And in many ways, as a, as a reader or as a watcher, you can your own opinions will make you decide who the good guys and bad guys are. That's right. not kind and of put cha- upon and, you. And also you will change your mind yeah. Yeah. Um, about who you like and who you don't like yeah. and who's Completely. right and who's wrong. And, sh- you know, like it, as I have many, many times in the yeah. research of it, it's, it's really um, polarizing Yeah, for you, for you yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap things up. And the last question I'm going to ask is how has, Gus, your human child, compared to, to Walter, your 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 squirrel child. Oh. How's it all going? He, he seems like a little angel. Like the the two times I've met him so far, he's been an absolute calm calm delight. I know it's unbelievable. He, he seems to think is, very deeply. He's, he's got a very, very pensive look on his face. <laughs> he he's does. a very deep thinker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is amazing. He's so sweet and so calm. I mean, he's like nearly seven. He's seven weeks old on Monday and's pretty much sleeping through the night. So amazing. I really feel like we yeah. lucked out. Steve always tries to make me do Sophie's Choice between Walter. And Walter. <laughs> 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 he's like, no, but seriously, if, if you had to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Any of my mates who've got two kids, I, I, I'll regularly ask which, which one is your favourite. <laughs> and it changes, and they, yeah. they will give an answer. Like, yeah, at the moment, I'll be honest. Yeah. Or, the- or mainly the guys will give an answer. The girls <laughs> I know, I love them both equally. 
That one's been all right for it recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll stand if he's a nightmare. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I love that. So true. Um, in many ways, the baby's much easier than the squirrel. Yeah. And the baby hasn't started biting me yet. <laughs> not yet. That, that'll come. That'll come. He's not obsessed with nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he's lovely and it's been lovely having well, him. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you've been here. He's met Uncle Pip. Yes. It, it, it was the thing. I said, I'd had kind of two years of saying I'm coming over soon and yeah. cancelling and that was the good thing to go right now I need to no, come over now, to now you've now. got a new child I have to come over um, <laughs> yeah. again well thank you very much for chatting and, thank you. and, and giving me your time it's been it's been an absolute pleasure yes. cheers oh can people you're on, on Twitter right yes at people Miss Marcel you, at Miss Marcel so people can find you on Twitter and keep up to date with all the goings on so yes. thank you very much cheers bye There we go. Man, that was good fun. I recorded that one a little while back while I was in LA. So the day after I recorded the James Buckley podcast, I believe, um, which was a very popular one as well. So, yeah, it was great to, to get out there and chat to my dear friend. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to be back next week, as ever. So please subscribe and rate and do all those good things. I've not got a lot else to tell you. I'm not trying to sell you anything at the moment. I'm enjoying j- j- just g- giving you podcasts for free every week um, and giving you all the podcasts on the distraction pieces and, and network for free every week. So I hope you're enjoying them. I hope you're, f- you're filling your boots and we're not overwhelming you with uh, with podcasts. Um, yeah, that's all I've got to say to you, man. You know, I should... I should just end this, but I'm I'm rambling on still. This happens sometimes. I record the intros on my own, often sat on my bed. So I'm in bed at the moment. I'm sat on my bed. Um, I've just finished a workout, so I'm, I'm, I'm sat here in my shorts, a bit sweaty, a bit smelly. I've not showered yet. I've just been like, exercise, get intros done, convert them, send them to Buddy Peace to work his magic. Um, then shower um and do good things continue working and be a good human so they're my plans um i'm still talking it turns out but that's fine i did a big sniff that's horrible that's right in your ears i've just effectively snuck up behind you and just gone sniff i'm not going to do it again I almost did it again after in, in my apology for doing it i've almost done it again see that wasn't wasn't nicer in that one i've just stuck up behind you got really close to your ear and just sighed which is reasonably creepy and uncomfortable but better than just a big a big growling sniff i guess so at least there's that that was just a breath again that wasn't a sniff um in case that didn't come across as just a. it was kind of an inhalation to go ah what what can i do what can i say there we go. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. The Distraction Pieces Network appreciates your ears for listening, for sniffing into, for sighing into, for inhaling 
from and exhaling towards. Ta-ta.